Jesus. And then he's going to ask that question. And then the revelation that came afterwards. It didn't come from flesh and blood. It didn't come from going to seminary. But the Father gave that revelation. He gave that revelation to Peter. Where he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He acknowledged that. The third part. He didn't keep quiet about it. And finally he confessed that with his mouth. And of course it's so important that when you believe that you speak... You have to say it. You can't keep quiet about that. Because there's life in the power of what we speak and in our tongue. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But this is all part of the gift that comes from God. Receive it. So as we move further on, we found out to that Jesus is that cornerstone. He is our salvation He is the foundation of everything that we do. But in order to begin to build upon that, we have to get into his word. And we understood that the Bible, the scripture, is the written word of God. And that the authority of that comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the author of the scripture. The Holy Spirit is God. He is not a force. He is not a good feeling. He is part of who God is. He is God. And there's a lot of things out there that would say that he is not, but he is. And he's there to glorify Jesus and to lift him up. Don't be fooled by uh, imitations. And then we find out that Jesus is the living word. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus also is God. He's not a guru. He's not some Marxist revolutionary to overthrow the rich, to set up a a utopia here on earth. He's not just a man. He is God. He always was, and he always will be, forever. Except no imitations. And then finally... We look at the authority and the power that comes from being in God's Word, letting it dwell richly within us. And it's important, and I know a lot of younger um, believers, and I was this way for a while too, I felt like you had to um, get into the Word for hours and hours on end when you first start. Start with like just five minutes. If that's too much, start with three And just build up your strength. It's just like running or lifting weights, which apparently I'm not doing too much of right now. I'll get back in shape, don't worry. But take that time each day to seek the Lord, especially you young ones. It's important because there's a lot of voices out there that will distract you. And a lot of those voices come from this little swipey phone thingy. Just be careful of that. I'm not saying throw your phones away, but I'm saying be wise in what you listen to and what you watch and what you believe because it affects you whether you realize it or not. Okay? All right. If you love God, you're going to love His Word. 
Plain and simple as that. And it has been preserved like no other book, no other documents that's ever been written by men or women. It's still here. So, love your word. Love it. So, as we go on towards the building of this, laying the foundation, as in Hebrews, you guys go ahead and turn there really quick. I've got a lot of scriptures in here, and I will try to move as quickly as I can. Some of the scriptures, don't worry about moving there. I can have, um, I'll just go ahead and read them out. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection from the dead, and of eternal judgment. So today we're going to be talking about repentance. And I know sometimes repentance, we sometimes I know as I was younger and growing up in the church, I got this idea that repentance was like you feel really bad for something you did, so you come crying to God. And he's like, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I promise never to do it again, but then you do it again, over and over again. And there's nothing wrong with saying sorry to God, but repentance is basically two things. Number one, it's a gift from, from God. It's not something that we work up. It comes from God. He's the one that originates repentance in our heart. And repentance, um, of course, the Greek in it is change your mind. We cannot change your mind unless God is changing it for us. Number one. And then the Hebrew part of repentance is to turn around. And of course, that we see this beautifully illustrated in the, um, <clears throat> the prodigal son. You know, as you guys have heard that story a million times, where the prodigal son left his father's house, he went out to live it up and to enjoy himself in this world. Um, there's a lot to enjoy in this world. There is. But there's always a consequence that comes along with that. Whether you pay it right then or later on, the bill has to be paid. So as he went out there and he spent all his father's money, and a famine hit the land, and he had all his friends left him, and he was there feeding pigs, and he was starving. And the first part of repentance was that he was he was hungry. He's just like, my father's servants, they've got food plenty and enough to spare. And so he comes up with this idea where I'm going to go back to my father's house and ask him, you know, I'm not going to be his son anymore. I'm just going to be a servant, just a hired hand. So he makes up his mind at that moment. And then he turns and begins to walk back 
to his father's house. And what a beautiful illustration that is. You know, as many of us would, um, as we've come to know the Lord, there was the moment of truth where that decision had to be made. I don't know how emotional he was when he did that. I'm not sure. But he made a decision and he made a choice and he turned around to walk back to his father's house. And as he's walking back, you know that the father was looking for him the entire time. And he said he saw him from a long distance. And he didn't stay there. He ran to him. And he said, put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on him. Sandals on his feet. And he embraced him. And he hugged him. And he kissed him. How undignified. But that is such a picture of true repentance. That as we make that turn back to the Father, as His Holy Spirit is calling us back to Him, wooing us, reminding us of how good God is, there is His Father giving Him such a welcome. And it was such a welcome that it drove the older brother pretty angry. And we're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> That's a discussion for another time. But what a way to do that. What a way. And when we talk about repentance from dead works, um, I know there's some translation that says works that might lead to death. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. From my, uh, my own readings, and understanding is I believe that anything that is a dead work is something that we don't do in faith apart from God. It might be a lot of good things that we've done. You might have been a church member and had given to the poor and had done all these things before God before in the past. But you never really knew God. You just kind of did them out of an obligation of being a good person. That's a dead work. Anything that we do not do in faith is dead. And it could be good things, like I said. One of the things I can think of when it comes to a dead work, and you know, I prayed a while about this, like, Lord, can you give me a good example from your word? And I think that's important. When God had promised to Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a son that would come from her womb, and it would come from Abraham, and they waited a long time. I believe it was probably about 13 or 14 years. And they, at that time, Sarah's like, listen, here's Hagar. Take her. And out of that became Ishmael. There's nothing wrong with Ishmael. I mean, he was a human being. But that was a work from Abraham and Sarah that was a dead work, though. Because the promise was in Isaac. That's what came from God. It originated in God. Not in the minds of Sarah, not in the mind of Abraham. As good and as great as they are, that's still a dead work. Sometimes we have to contend with our, those dead works. But thank God, He changes all those things.
Again, repentance is a decision. It's an act of your will. It's that part of your soul that says, I will or I won't. And thank God through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through His Holy Spirit, through His Word, our minds get renewed. They get washed with His Word. It stops making us think one way and start thinking like the way God wants us to think. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be exactly like Him, His Son. There's also a false repentance. And I was a little nervous about bringing these things up, but I believe that they're in the Word for a reason. And even if it kind of makes me a little jumpy talking about it, I really believe that it needs to be discussed. You guys do that with your kids. I know I do it with my own kids, showing them the positives and the negatives of the choices that we make or we don't make. And one of the things concerning false repentance is Judas Iscariot, the one that betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And it's a hard story to read, and it's hard to to think about. But Judas brought the 30 coins back, and he says, I have betrayed innocent blood. His conscience was bothering him for what he had done. And, of course, the high priest is like, what is that to us? It's like, see to it yourself. And Jesus ran out, threw the coins, and he went out and hung himself. And I know there is a word that says he repented what he did, but actually the word is more closer to he's remorseful for what he did. And we think about what he had done. And I do believe that there comes a point where if you do something like Judas, like he had done and stuff like that, he had passed that point of repentance where it was impossible for him to do that. We also look at Esau. And um, I'd spoken a couple months ago on Esau and on Jacob. And for a bowl of delicious stew, he traded that in. The word says that Esau despised his birthright. This is from Hebrews twelve fourteen through 17. And when that time came when Jacob received that blessing from Isaac, when he laid his hands upon him, and then Esau came in later, he couldn't get that same blessing that Jacob had received. It was gone. And no matter, and Esau did like he, he cared about it to a point because he said he wept bitter tears. But there was no place for him to return back at that time. It was done. So, again, a lot of that has to do with the emotions right there. But we have to think about those two instances in the Bible of Judas and Esau. They're there for a reason. So, if we go ahead and turn to Matthew 3, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3. 
there's an order in how this goes in the Bible when it comes to repentance. I'm going to start with one of my favorite guys, John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is he who is spoken of, the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So we see here with John the Baptist that repentance had to come first before belief, before the forgiveness of sins. Repentance had to come first. And we also look at the, with Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. This is after Jesus' temptation. He had defeated Satan. And now he's beginning his ministry. This is now after John the Baptist was put into prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, from John, this is transferred over to Jesus as he begins his ministry. And also in Luke 24. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. Luke 24, 46 through 47. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and then remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And after Jesus ascended back into heaven, and the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that Peter also had the same message in Acts 2. Acts 2:37 to 38. Start with 36, Ron. How's that? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, this is Peter speaking, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when the people had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then finally with Paul in Acts 17.30. 
Excuse me. This is Paul was preaching to the Athenians. Acts 17.30 Paul says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained. And he has given assurance of all this by raising Jesus from the dead. And finally, Paul again in Acts 20, verse 20. This is where Paul is saying goodbye to the leaders in Ephesus. He's never going to see them again. And this is what he says to them. Paul says, And how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, from house, to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we have all these examples that it has to, when we are building this foundation, that we have to start with repentance first. Okay? And then we come up to faith. And I can't go too deeply into faith today, because um, that's going to be part of next week as well. But I wanted to um, share some things um, about faith. But let me just go to... I'm sorry about that. Let me back up to Nehemiah first. I think it's important. If you go to Nehemiah 8. This is concerning repentance as well. <clears throat> this is after the people had come back out of captivity and they had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They had rebuilt the temple. And the law was being preached. And so people were standing around listening to the scribes not only teach it, but give application for it. So Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribes, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all of their own, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And they said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those who have nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So all the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. So all the people went their way to eat and to drink. And sent portions and rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. And I know sometimes people um, might have like a, a look down on the Old Testament. But even here, it was talking about that with true repentance, there comes joy with it. Because these people were able to see and the people who had the understanding was like, no. Don't weep. Today's a great day. Rejoice in the Lord. He is your strength. So, be thankful for the Old Testament too, guys. Alright? So, faith 
Faith is something that, again, it comes from God. It really does, and it relates to God's Word. We know in Romans ten seventeen it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why it's so important to say these things to your kids and to your grandkids, and that you speak these things out loud to yourself and to your spouse. Something happens when it comes out of the mouth when you speak them. We know also that faith is a substance. It's a substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Of course, that's from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is one of the few words that really has given, been given a definition by the Bible. That it is a substance within us. And it's inside of our heart. And it also talks how closely related it is to hope. It says, because on that substance, hope is built there, on that, on faith. And we also see that hope is interleaked with faith. It's a little different from faith, though, because it's a future expectation of good that's built on faith. Okay? So it has to do with the future. Hope does. It's like an anchor that's been set way in the distance, and your boat has been tethered to it. It keeps you steady. And it's of the mind. If you guys would turn to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So hope is also a helmet because it guards our mind. Okay? And we see here that faith is like a breastplate. It guards our heart. And the two have to be protected. They are interlinked and they're intertwined. And faith has a lot to do with what's going on right now, the present, our day-to-day walk. It's a literal substance in the heart. If you're a hopeful person, it'll make you an optimist, again, of the mind. It's renewing it. It's changing it. Our hope has got to be fixed to something, to a person, to Jesus. Faith relates to the unseen. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The seen was made by the unseen. The power of God. And we see also that Faith and sight are exclusive from one another. You see in Second Corinthians five seven, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And I know it's one of those things that come from the world. I won't believe until I see it. Seeing is believing. 
um, that is completely contradictory to the Word of God. Um, it sounds good. There is a wisdom to it, but it is a worldly wisdom. And it's a dangerous one at that. Because faith, we can't see. And sometimes we can't see one step in front of the other. But we know that God has called us. And that He will never lead us astray. And that His Word is a light. So that we can begin to see where He's guiding us. But it's a thin and it's a small road. There's not a lot to it. You've got to stay on that little path. The world's is broad. Six lanes. It's like being copped down in Atlanta, working down there around Jimmy Carter Boulevard. It is broad. And any belief is on there. And a lot of it sounds good. Some of it not so good. But it leads to destruction. If you could see it, it's not faith. And it never will be. And again, faith is something that has to be confessed. Romans 10.10 For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10.10 Again, we see that faith resides in the heart. It's right there. And as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, a man or a woman speaks. You can tell what you are. You can tell the fruit of your life by the things that you say. Amen? All right. Confession of our faith relates us to Jesus as our high priest. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Jesus, when he emptied himself and became a man and he walked amongst us 2,000 years ago and he did all his miracles and he did the Father's will and he died and he rose again on the third day and went back into heaven, he just didn't do it to show us a way. He also, after he ascended into heaven, he became our high priest because now he completely understands everything that we go through. There's not a thing that he doesn't understand about you or your circumstances. He understands completely. And he's able, and he still does, pray for you all the time. He is forever your high priest. In the order of Melchizedek. And as the enemy stands there and makes his accusations against you for your failures, your faults. There may be truth in them. He's quite the prosecutor. He'll get you spinning around faster than you know it. The accuser, day and night, accusing me before our Father, we have our high priest defending us. We are made righteous by his blood. His shed blood. Hebrews 10, 21 through 23. You guys are doing great. This is a lot of stuff, I know. 
Hebrews 10, 21-23. And having a high priest over the house of God, speaking of Jesus, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our folk without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let those words wash over you. Because sometimes our hearts do condemn us for things that we do. And their unbelief and the hardness of heart can creep in because we are just in this world and we've got to contend with that. But thank God that our hearts get sprinkled. That hardness dissipates, goes away. And like He promised in the Old Testament, He's like, I'm going to change you. I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you one of flesh. And this is fulfilled here. But don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it get caught up too much in what goes on in this world. Because the things that we see, all the evil that goes on, is temporary. The things that we can't see, what we read in the Word and what the Holy Spirit confirms in our hearts, those are the things that are, that are eternal and last forever. And there comes no end to it. It keeps getting better and better. And I would highly recommend that you guys begin to meditate and think about heaven and the things that God has stored up for you and for me and my family and all the people that we've loved and lost along the way. They are there waiting for us. And they know you so much intimately and can't wait to meet you. Their race is done. Ours is still going on. Think about that. They are there waiting. Along with all the angels. Everything that you could ever imagine. Every good thing you ever hoped for. It's going to be there, guys. He's coming back. And then we look at our faith. And I know that there are some people that believe that when we go through hard times or difficulties or tribulations, that it's a lack of faith. I don't believe that. I believe that our faith has got to be tested. We have to walk through as Jesus walked. He was tested. We have to become like him. We're going to be tested too. And just because bad things are happening in your life, not necessarily you might be doing something wrong. It might be because you're doing something right. And God is letting you go through these things. Not alone. He's there with you. But He's got to make you like His Son. And His Son went through some hard times. Not all the time. But yes, you had to walk through those hard times. You turn to James 1.
James 1, 2 through 4. Start verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance or perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, mature, lacking nothing. And that's one of the things with endurance. That while you're going through it, um, and the secret of endurance is enduring it, you've got to go through it. You can make the choice not to. You still have a will. You can quit. But I know that there is no promises for those who turn back. But God is able, especially in our weaknesses, His strength is made quite visible, not only to us, but to everyone around us. Stop looking at yourself and begin to look to Him. We don't know what's going on a lot of the times. That's part of faith. Second Corinthians 3.18 We're almost there, guys. You are enduring so much. I'm a little winded too, but that's okay. Second Corinthians three. Start with verse sixteen. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. And a lot of the times we don't see it, but He sees it. He sees it. And he's so proud. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. We're almost there. And we know with faith in Romans 14.23, for whatever is not of faith is sin. Stop thinking that you know better than God. Submit yourself to Him. Trust Him. Fall into His hands. Be like that little lamb that allowed the Master to put Him on His shoulders and walk you back to the flock if that's where you're at. Consent. Come back to Him. And of course, my favorite scripture in the Bible is Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that, number one, he is. And number two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And don't forget that he sought you first. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. His mercies will endure for all time. His mercy triumphs over judgment. So while that gift is here, don't be like Esau. Don't be like Esau. Don't despise that and treat it as common. And not think much about it. Because... The things in this world are just not going to last. They're just not. They're passing away. And before you know it, he'll be making his return. But along the way, we have to lay that foundation. We have to lay that foundation in our life and make sure that it is founded on the rock, which is Jesus. And make sure that it's the right Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your great word and your great people. Well, we thank you for your grace, which gives us the power to change our minds, to guard our hearts. Your grace, Lord, is sufficient for us. For godliness, to saying no to worldliness. Lord, that we might live sober lives on the alert. Lord, help us not to get carried away with the cares and concerns of this world. We've got to live in it, Lord. Help us to always have that eternal perspective. That time one day will run out. And eternity will start as we step into it. Help us to have that hope, Lord, fixed in our mind. That we might not turn to the left or the right. But we know, Lord, that you're always there, willing to forgive. Wanting us to grow deeper into you. Wanting us, Lord, to continue to assemble together while it's still light. Bless these people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so good seeing John yesterday. Love one another. Deep from the heart. Not with just words, but with deeds. Amen.